0: Today is Wednesday, May 31st, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman. Episode 521 features the Athletics' Jared Weiss.
1: And I'm Evan Valenti, and this show is powered by FanDuel. Go to FanDuel.com slash Boston to get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000.
0: All right. Well, here we are. Great. (laughs) Instead of, instead of making history, the Celtics are history, which means it is all (laughs) eyes. Thank you. Thank you. You can use that, Jared. Jared Weiss is here from the athletic. Evan Valenti always here. I am Adam Kaufman and uh, only so much of this, probably very little is going to be a a game seven post-mortem because that's been done. You know, people have done their post-game shows. People want to know what's next, what's happening, the look ahead. I mean, maybe we'll reflect a little bit upon the the remarkable disappointment that was game seven. I'm not even talking about, like, whether or not Boston won or lost. And obviously, you know, at the core of it, Boston lost, and and that blows, you know, all of us, uh, I think most of us anyway— Certainly thought Boston was going to pull it off after rallying from down 3-0, tying it up and, and then you're at home and all, you know, and everyone's shouting out the 04 Red Sox and watching the four days in October documentary. And it's, you know, like nothing but good vibes. Like they were going to reel off eight straight wins and cruise to a championship parade. But, uh, more crushing than that more more dissatisfying than that honestly is that it was just such a crappy game just such a crappy basketball game as a fan win or lose it wasn't even competitive it wasn't even enjoyable for the vast majority of it and that was that was disheartening but you know again we could maybe do some of that here's why i want to start jared and i would start this way with anyone in your position right after you know a a, a end of a season and and looking ahead to what could be based on all the the rumblings the the twitter discourse could be kind of a chaotic potentially you know really seismic shifting off season when it comes to news that you are seeking out you plan to report all of that uh, obviously i know there's only so much you can discuss with us on a show you're not gonna like you know take readers away from your stories. You're going to, you know, save stuff for when the articles come out. And I'm sure in the coming days, you will have to, you know, plenty of stuff to write about. What I'm curious about is what are you, like, what's the top priority for you right now? What are, what kind of information are you seeking out? Is it Joe Missoula and his future and his staff? I know Sham Sharania has already reported that Missoula is expect, expected to be back. Is it what are the Celtics looking to do between the Jalen Brown Supermax eligible or Malcolm Brockton maybe getting off of that contract? All of these different things that everyone is talking about. What is your priority in terms of what you're chasing down?
2: I think the most important thing right in the immediate aftermath, the first thing that can change is the coaching staff because we have to wait until the end of the month or is it June? It's not even June yet. I mean, it's basically wait until, June. Yeah, basically June. What's the difference? Um But so we have to wait until the end of the month to find out what's happening with all the big player development stuff. Um But the coaching staff can start making changes right away and – I you know, think there's been some – there's probably some information going around that's probably a little bit premature on what's happening there. Obviously, it starts with Joe, and I think Shams' reporting was on the money that Joe is most likely – I wouldn't say definitely, but seems like most likely is going to be back, and we can get into the reasons why that makes sense. If they got swept or lost in five, I would have been very uncertain, Um and I think for a few reasons. One, it just would have been such a disaster. It would have called in a serious question whether – Joe could, or this team, could win a championship right now when they're in the peak of their window, basically. And two, Joe was so good in games four through six, and then, like, game seven hard to judge because like they got so screwed with the tatum injury but then also mm. a lot of their fundamental flaws just got completely exacerbated and exposed in that game seven so i think that's more of a long-term systemic issue rather than joe in that specific moment um also it's spo in game seven that's that's just not fair for anybody ever <laughs> like red hour back in his prime going going up against spo in game seven probably wouldn't be fair so um joe was so good in games four through six that I think he also left a much sweeter, less bitter taste in everyone's mouth coming out of that series. Uh, one of the things that was shocking was that he changed his timeout philosophy, essentially, in those last four games. or Yeah, four games. Uh, my story, I think, off of game four was about how that timeout he called when Jalen Brown was getting trapped early in the, uh, in the third quarter, like changed the course of history for the Celtics and for him. And a lot of people I talked to after the season were like really excited to see him doing that. And we're like, we're hoping that'll be more his philosophy going into next year. But the main reason I think the Celtics can and should stick by Joe Mazzulla is that this was like the worst setup imaginable for a new head coach. Um, you know, if you made him wear a blindfold, that maybe, maybe it was the only way it could have been more difficult. He did almost get blinded earlier in the year and he had to come back from that, That's right? True. So, yeah. so he's been through it all. Um, <laughs> and it's like they, they can position him for success so much better next year. I know that everybody, I'm sure is tired of all the learning. Joe's learning. We're learning all that kind of crap, but there's a lot of lessons to be learned. I, th- I certainly learned a lot this year and I think Joe is going to be so much better set up for success next season. And I would like to see where that goes because, you know, they hired him for a reason and a lot of things didn't work out this year, but he also was kind of like held back a little bit because of the situation. And I think that he's shown enough. And he's, he has an interesting philosophy, attention to detail, willingness to hold people accountable, but also develop deep bonds that I think the template is there for a successful coach. And a lot of people I've talked to after the season were like, we believe Joe's going to be an elite head coach. And they, that still is something coming out that would be really easy for people after game seven to be like, screw this guy, he's an idiot. But I the, the worst I was hearing were people just kind of like frustrated with how the season went, but hopeful that Joe will grow over the off season and get a chance to really perform well over the off season and maybe learn how to control public messaging better, which is like kind of a disaster. And I think he needs to probably recognize it's not even about like my job being better. Just like he needs to recognize how his job can be better. If he's mm-hmm. able to control public messaging, especially when his job was like very clearly on the line to some degree during this conference finals. Um, I think Joe's going to learn from a lot of those things. And there are a lot of good coaching candidates out there. It's not like they're like, who are we going to hire if we don't have them? So I, I wouldn't say that it's set in stone that he returns, but it seems most likely he will return.
0: I've said it for quite a while on this show is this is not new. And I, I agree with you. If they'd gone down in four or five, it certainly becomes more of a question, but especially in light of the fact that, yeah, they lost, but they pushed, they showed a, you know, they, they show they didn't totally tune them out and they aren't willing to play for them and all of that, you know, the, the, Sort of the pushback that people were giving it of, of they, it reminds me of the old, who was it like uh, the, uh, whichever analyst talking about Bill Belichick, the whole, they hate their coach. You know, I, I never really bought into that as it came to Joe Missoula for a range of reasons. One, 34, you know, viewed coming into the year as, as an up and comer in the league, you know, a rising star, had the opportunity interviewing with Utah, ended up, wound up going to Will Hardy. So he stays in Boston, gets ascended, obviously, through, very unpredictable, unforeseen circumstance, but obviously gets the job, get off to a hot start. They do well. He certainly showed signs, and I don't even care about like third and coach of the year voting. He showed signs over the course of the year that, hey, like this guy can be a good coach in this league, even if obviously in some larger moments there were very natural questions and he's not infallible and there were things that were, you know, you could criticize and we could sit here and criticize. But where I never thought – he was going to go and, and I would often cite Jared, the, they, they only recently took the interim tag off months ago and gave him that contract extension. It was more about the symbolism of that stuff to then not pull the plug as opposed to the, the raw details. And what I mean by that is like people have said ever since the Shams report, man, three years, 14 million left on that deal. Like Wick's not going to eat that. And my, while well, I don't think he's going yeah. anywhere, my, my like, my, Did you my, see how
2: much money he's paying Jalen? Do you think well, 14 well, that's, million really matters if the well, that's, whole thing well, is well, on that's, the line?
0: That's what I'm saying. Like, my, my response to that is you think like Wick if, if Wick believes I've got a championship team that's that's being held back by the head coach, and but I am not going to give them the right guy because of 14 million dollars. Like there's there's just no way. Like that doesn't even enter the equation. You'd have
2: to be very stupid to do that. And <laughs> I don't think I don't think that's the case. Um yeah, you have to eat that cost. It's like you have to have the right guy. This is your moment. And why would you pay three hundred million dollars a Jalen and then leave in a coach that you don't think is going to be able to get the job done over a few million dollars a year? So it, they're going to do whatever they need to do. Um, and also, they like they're a huge. They're one of the biggest teams in the NBA that is making deep playoff runs. I'm sure their revenue stream is probably fine. I know that Wick isn't looked at as like a Steve Ballmer type. I mean. The, the standard for NBA owner has gotten pretty high because you're getting yeah, these guys right? that are worth like $20 billion buying into teams now. It's kind of <laughs> ridiculous. So yeah, Jack yeah. Moss still Brooklyn too, right? So, yeah. um, we'll see if the Qatari national fund starts buying into teams. <laughs> then we won't have to worry about that, right? So, okay. uh, I think Wick will do whatever it takes, especially because, you know, they, with the way that the CBA is set up now, there is going to be, so much tax are probably going to pay and they're going to have to make so many decisions here um that I think, or I'm sorry, other way around. They're probably gonna have to dive out of the tax to avoid mm. the double paper concern. They're probably going to be saving money relative to where most teams that are kind of going all in are just because of, that's the way that the system forces you to do it now. So that leaves you more money to
0: waste on paying an extra coach. All right. One, one more on the coaching staff and then Ev, you can take us wherever you want to take us. But the, so we're obviously talking about Missoula's future and, and the future of this coaching staff, Jared. And, and you said you believe that Sham's report is right. And you said some of the reporting out there may be a little premature. It's only natural to, uh, infer from that, that, you know, this report of, of multiple assistants, three assistants potentially leaving to go join Ime Udoka in, in Houston, that report that has surfaced. If in fact that is premature, then fine, maybe one or two or all three of those guys end up staying. I don't know how it plays out. We'll find out in the coming days. But my initial thought, and Evan and I were texting about this, my initial thought with if, if in fact, it's true, if those three guys are bolting, there are multiple ways of looking at it. One, maybe there's a promotional responsibility. Maybe there's, you know, just more money. Then, okay, guys are leaving. Or maybe there's some level of loyalty to Ime Odoka. Fine, guys are leaving. But if guys are leaving, as you said before, a championship caliber situation to go to a rebuilding Houston team, that would seem like a huge red flag or indictment of, of Joe Missoula and whether they believe he is the guy. So when you saw that report, and I know you're doing your due diligence for, you know, researching everything and making your calls. But when you saw the report about like the, the coaching staff abandoning ship, like what the hell, like we're getting away from Joe. We're going to reunite with Imei. What was your thought in terms of okay, is Joe the right guy if he doesn't have the belief of the guys who are under him? Yeah, I I think that just
2: the Houston situation is the you know, Celtic season just ended. And so I think that Houston obviously Eme is gonna want to get the guys that he hired last year. I'm sure he's going to it's pretty pretty apparent that Houston's going to try to poach whoever they can that Eme likes from the staff. But I don't think that there's been substantive movement on that at this point to the point that I would assume that they're going to be leaving. I think there's a lot for those guys that are here in Boston to consider. One, um, like they, they're on a great team, and they're on a team that is really close to getting a ring, and I assume most of these coaches are motiv- motivated by that. Um, also, there was a lot of staff turnover on the Celtics staff, and a lot of these guys, the jobs are in now, they probably should be getting an official promotion and an official pay raise. So the Celtics can also compete there with what Houston would be offering. But also just because someone was brought in by EME doesn't mean that they have to be completely tied to EME. Um, you know, like in my industry, I'm friends with a lot of people from rival publications and it's like, I don't have to, it's not like I have to go work for them just because they are like, they are my friend. It's like you, people will work in the situation that makes the most sense for them. And I think most of these Boston coaches are in a pretty decent situation if they feel like they're going to be truly empowered by Joe. Obviously, the Celtics are going to have to add more people to their staff. One, they're like missing positions to a degree at the top end of that staff. Everyone in the world knows that they need to bring in a more experienced veteran coach, whether it's Steven Silas, who we've seen hanging around. And I think Mark Stein reported they intend to hire him, which you know we'll see, that'll be interesting. Um, you know, there was a lot of rumors that Frank Vogel was someone that they pursued mm-hmm. early on and we haven't, I don't, I don't think he's been a front runner for any jobs during this cycle. So maybe they're able to get him. Um, hey, maybe Mike D'Antoni comes aboard now that Nick Nurse is taking over Philly. Maybe that's Mike D'Antoni. <laughs> there's a lot of, and there's other guys that are less, you know, famous names that could obviously be included as well. But, you know, Damon Stoudemeyer leaving in the middle of the season, that left a big hole. Like he was mm-hmm. the OG on the coaching staff. He was the NBA vet, the guy that really had the pulse on. How and when and why to talk to players about certain stuff. And you know, something that someone mentioned to me a while back that was really interesting when I was trying to get an understanding of what like why Damon's departure was important. Someone mentioned that a lot of coaches don't recognize a lot of these guys are kind of playing for contract stuff. And I think Damon, they said that Damon was really good at talking to a guy and being like, you got to think about how this affects your next deal kind of stuff. And apparently that was a really important thing. And you know, people have to. I know people always get so up in arms when players care about their salary. It's like, what, are you supposed to not care about your salary? It doesn't mean that you're going to take 30 shots, like, I guess, what well, Jalen Brown did, uh, to try to get to Supermax. But, like, it doesn't mean you're going to make bad plays. It means you're going to try to maximize your role as much as possible. And sometimes we've seen guys like Grant Williams, who tried to go a little bit beyond his capabilities a little too fast, and that kind of bit him this season. Um, You know, like stuff like that happens. But I think that Damon was really crucial to making sure that Joe was always kind of in the right realm of managing these guys in a way that Joe just didn't have the experience for. And it's important that every staff has that, especially as Joe, who's in a much bigger position of power now, kind of starts to learn more about the dynamics of being a head coach as opposed to a backbench coach.
1: Yeah, I'll just make it quick on Joe for me because I thought Joe was fantastic for the most part. You know, he... Uh, went against Eric Spolstra in, in the series and lost in game seven. That's, you know, when, when you look back at it, that's how it will read in the history book. So it's not a huge thing. Uh, one of the things though, to take a slight pivot here, that's uh, of a lot of interest. A lot of people is this new CBA. You kind of mentioned a little bit earlier and what bosses need to do to meet certain requirements. Like if they want to, you know, hit the first or second apron or and there's a lot of details that are being ironed out. I think, um, there is going to be a lot of information in terms of people writing stuff coming out shortly. So, um, it seems like, uh, it's complicated. There's a lot to think about. There's a lot to analyze and, and Boston has some kind of big things to look at coming up here highlighted by the Jalen Brown supermax. So Jared, in yeah. your opinion, what is the hardest decision Boston has to make considering their financial commitments, uh, this off season
2: Jalen, obviously. Um, and I think the first thing before even talking about it, oh, my light just went out. Um, the still look good. The The team, the team doesn't know exactly what's in the CBA yet because they're still ironing stuff out and they have like a pretty cohesive or coherent summary of what's in there. But there's a lot of details that they're still kind of waiting for it to be completely finalized. And that matters because the new double apron rules are so complicated if you, if you're a team that should we explain the double apron thing real quick to our yeah, listeners? Yeah, real quick. Go Basically. Ahead. So there's an apron that everyone probably has heard of before and they don't know what the hell it is. So it's like, you have the luxury tax line, which is, was that, is that 20 million or sixty million above the cap line? I can't remember off the top of my head. I think it's like 20 million above that, about 16 or 17 million above that usually has been what's called the apron. If you do certain things like sign in trades, uh, using the taxpayer level, Right, I think using the yeah, biannual definitely. exception, which is like a really tiny exception, slightly above the veteran minimum, if you use any of those things, the apron becomes a hard cap and your salary cannot be above that apron. Um, the NBA has now put in a double apron where if you are over that double apron for a certain period of time, you start to have draft picks in the future get frozen. They get dropped to the bottom of the first round. So I think it's seven years out from the time you're in that double apron your draft pick seven years from now is frozen. So you can't trade it anymore. And it moves from maybe even number one all the way to number 30. And mm. I don't know. I don't even know how it's supposed to work. It seems really complicated. I don't, it's, 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 it's so complicated. There's so many rules on there. There's like, you can't, you can't exceed like when you match salary and trades, you can't send out more than $1 above what you're taking in. While in the past, you're able to send out like 150%, I think, or 125%. I think it's 100%. So you're able. You're able to, you know, you, you're able to make the trades a little bit lopsided. You had flexibility. You lose that flexibility. You can no longer send out cash to buy second round picks from people, which is a really crucial part of team building when you mm-hmm. are a contender who doesn't have any draft picks and can't get rid of anything. Um, like the Celtics, for instance. So, uh, there's, there, there's more. There's so much more. You, lo- I think you lose your tax pyramid level, like all sorts of stuff. It makes it. If you're over that double apron for a certain period of time and it's only like a couple years, I think, you basically can't add anything to your roster besides veteran like veteran minimum players. You really can't do anything. And especially the Celtics are fortunate because they're not one of these teams that did something stupid like trade five second round picks for Jay Crowder, who you can't even play anymore. Um, The Celtics are really – I guess credit to Brad Stevens, Mike Zara and that crew that they did not do any of those deals. They – did they send two seconds for Muscala? I think, or something like that. Um, something who, like that. who by the way, did not play at all in the playoffs. So that wasn't oh. a good trade anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so yeah, that was a, obviously a terrible trade. They didn't play him. He never, he barely played for the playing. Celtics. We so tried. That was a huge mistake, but I mean, they had extra seconds to toss around. So whatever. It's fine. Um, but so basically this is all to say if you pay Jalen Brown, you are going into that apron you got two aprons on you are not getting any food on you while you're cooking but you also cannot even eat that food so um or I guess you can't add ingredients out a shitty metaphor but they they have to know without question Jalen Brown can still be uh, is can still improve like maybe if Jalen stays exactly the same when he's at the age where he could and JT continues to improve a little bit and stays healthy, and these, and just these guys maybe find some shooting consistency, then it doesn't matter if Jalen keeps improving and he's fine at that number. Um, but if you don't get that, that's, that, that number is, is bad because you can't add anything around them. And if the Jays aren't going to be enough and you can't keep, you know, you, they're not developing anyone that they're going to keep. Like they're, Peyton Pritchard wants to get traded. Grant Williams, very good chance that he leaves. And if they do keep him, he's gonna be relatively expensive for this team. Um, they got three guards that are like, you know, kind of late prime who are making the same amount of money, and they're probably gonna have to move off of one of them either now or next summer. But so adding around this roster and keeping this roster fresh is gonna be extremely difficult if they sign that supermax to Jalen give Jalen that supermax. So like they gotta be like, we clearly are gonna win the championship for the next couple of years to do it. And Jalen generally, I think it's been no question. And then that last series was really bad. Really, like, it was really, really bad in several different ways. And even mm-hmm. if, even if it was his wrists was limiting his dribbling ability, it was his game management that was the real concern. Um, especially in game seven, that game management was really bad. It was, you know, Jalen failed and he said it. And we know Jalen's better than that. Um, but like, he has to be more consistent in the postseason. For them to be able to count on him and for them to be able to count on him when JT goes down. And like we saw in the finals last year, he was, him and Smart were the only players that were good throughout that series. Everybody else was completely mm-hmm. in and out. Um, so like Jalen, there have been so many times in his career where Jalen was the team. Um, but Jalen kind of fades in and out of being a, an absolutely irreplaceable member of the team. And if you're getting paid the supermax, you have to be absolutely vital every single night and Jalen isn't quite there. He's like right on the precipice. So I think Jalen's a supermax player in general, but that last one was concerning.
0: Well, so look, I mean, Jalen Brown, I think we largely know who he is at this point and we know his strengths. We know his flaws. You know, we know that he was the team's best player in the NBA finals. And he was arguably the team's worst player in, you know, at least for, you know, for expectation, in these conference finals so he's you know he's thrived he's failed on on basically the biggest stages that he can correct me if i'm wrong about any of this because i just you know listening to everything that you're saying and i i want to make sure that my mindset is is accurate i don't believe that there is any question that the celtics will offer the supermax deal to Jalen brown meaning this if you offer him less probably not going to take it you know will be insulted for yet another reason and you know just want to leave and and not take that much of a discount off of that offer to go sign with somewhere else and get his fresh start and maybe be a number one whatever else there's no question to me they offer the supermax deal now in saying that that does not mean that you're keeping him you're doing that almost as a formality to get him signed get him on the books get him his money And then you can turn around and trade him if you want to. Doesn't mean it's now, could be a year from now. We don't know that he would play out the contract with Boston. He could very possibly, maybe even likely still end up moving. What this all comes down to, and you alluded to this, but if we really drill down on it, what this comes down to is in the coming years, can you pay Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Because the money doesn't matter in in terms of like people talk about, you know, five for 295 or Tatum getting five for three. 14 or like, that doesn't matter. What matters is percentage of cap. So can you pay these two guys 70% of your entire team salary and still have a contending roster? Or do you have to, and it's not going to be Tatum. Do you have to unload Brown to try and get, Younger get pieces, meaning a a high like people have floated around like the I don't even know if it's a, a real report, but people have floated around the like number three pick and Anthony Simons you know get a, a a good young developing player and a high round pick that could become the next Jalen Brown and you're doing so at a much cheaper level than obviously paying Jalen whatever 50 sixty million dollars a year whatever that math is. I don't think there's any question Jared that the offer is made, but whether or not you actually do it and keep him and build that way, that, to me, is is where this gets foggy. So first off, uh,
2: drafting Scoot Henderson right now is stupid. Jason Tatum is in his prime. All of your role players are in their prime. That makes no sense. You need a star right now. So they could flip that third pick, and maybe and Simons, for another elite star. Maybe that's possible. Um, two things that are, is important for everyone to remember. When we talk about the total contract number on the Supermax, it's always an extra year beyond what everyone else can offer, so it seems mm-hmm. like it's a hundred million, but it's really only like fifty or whatever ish million, which is a lot of money. I would like that fifty million dollars, but <laughs> the, the the difference isn't as drastic as you think. And a really important distinction: when you pay these two guys thirty five percent of the cap, it's seventy percent of the cap. But this team's payroll is way beyond the cap number. So if they're like fifty million over the cap, you're really only committing like fifty percent. I'm doing the math on top of my head. That might not be right. Sure. Can I just drop my phone? Um, you're, you're really only committing like 50% of your payroll to these guys and 50% of your payroll to two all NBA players, I think is a no brainer. So it's really about what can you do with the other 50% and how long can you keep that other 50%, especially when you're not developing players that you can count on to be a key part of your your rotation unless they somehow reconfigure this team to empower peyton pritchard and sam hauser turns into a starting caliber player which probably not but you know maybe there's a pathway for him to be a good player i could definitely see that i think he'll have a decent NBA career so i don't think the expenditure is as significant as people um think but Jalen is also still probably tradable on that salary, trying to think off the Mm -hmm. top of my head. I think he still is. I think his appeal will last for a while. He's a two-way wing who is going to be 27, I think, next season at some point. Um, Two-way is an interesting distinction with him because he made so many off-ball defensive mistakes in the postseason. I just feel like it's not getting better. But his on-ball defense at times is really crucial. And also his rebounding was really good in that Miami series. And people have been wanting him to rebound more for years. It doesn't make sense why he's not a good rebounder. I think part of it is that he's a transition player, so he doesn't crash as much. But like, Jalen is still, I would consider, a two-way wing who is a really good scorer and adds defense, is a, is a plus defender regardless of a lot of the faults. So I think everyone in the NBA would probably want him. The one, the trade that always comes up that I think is interesting is Mikhail Bridges in Brooklyn, who... Mm-hmm. Kind of like does a lot of what Jalen does, and his defense is everything you would hope hope Jalen's defense would be. So that's a really interesting option. Um That's you the know, first
1: my, one I actually like, Weiss.
0: Yeah, the first make,
1: one I, I, I don't give me Anthony Simons in the three pick. That doesn't make any sense.
0: It yeah, you don't. What, what about all the like people are shouting out Lillard and Beal? Like it's always the same stuff. Well, if you gonna bring, you're gonna bring Willard
1: year. aboard, Weiss, you can test this. You gotta change your whole team. You have too many
0: guards. Yeah, they would probably need to move a couple of their guards, but Lillard, you, I mean, you got to probably got to offload one guard right now as it is. Never mind doing that. Yeah. I, I guess they could play three
2: guards. It, it could work. Maybe um, Lillard is fascinating because I think you have one or two years of him being elite before you have to presume there's a drop off. Cause he's like already 32 or 33, I think. So, that's fascinating because he doesn't really give you much on defense, but he is one of the greatest offensive players of the last 20 or 30 years. So, you know, I, that might be worth it. You're shortening your, your runway, but you maybe that actually gets you above and beyond where you were before. I feel like Dame not be, I feel like Dame and JT, they're neither of them are like elite. Ball creative point guards, but they're both really good. Dame's obviously better than JT as a point guard, but like you don't want him running point the entire time. So maybe having those guys out there, maybe even next to smart, might actually make this offense like absolutely unbel- unbelievable, especially because Dame Lillard on a team that doesn't need him to hold the ball in his hands most of the time, like that could make him absolutely, that could make him like a 35 point a night score. I could totally see that. So that's a really interesting one. And I think that's a level of player you have to look at with Jalen, unless you think Mikhail Bridges is really stepping up here. It's like Jalen is a second team all NBA player. And regardless of whether it's like KD and LeBron, those guys were hurt this year. Like he, He's in that realm. He's in that realm. He's a top probably 20 player in the NBA. And you need somebody that's either going to be a top 10 player or someone you think is going to grow into a top 10 player, essentially,
0: to make it worthwhile. I know the answer to this question is is defined by the return and therefore we don't know. But in your opinion... Because there's a lot of back and forth about this just among, you know, like Twitter people or even media people. Do you believe that moving Jalen Brown would be short-sighted, or do you believe yes. it is something you absolutely have to explore?
2: You have to explore. I mean, Jalen's been on the training block since he got to high school, but um <laughs> you yeah, you, you listen. If if Brooklyn's gonna give you Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson Nick Claxton, or, you know, like you have to listen to it, obviously, but you don't want to trade Jalen. Like him and JT work together. They're a good, I'm so tired of seeing people saying that they can't play together. It's like, what are you watching? It's It's like they they have, they have faults, but like their games are different. They're, they're different players. Though I think this year it was harder to tell because Jalen generally has been an elite off-ball shooting guard that could also attack this year a shot kind of abandoned him so we had to turn into more of an isolation uh paint score and obviously if that's where it's trending that's obviously a concern but like they play the game they kind of play they're really like the two different types of wings that exist in the nba one is a slower pace herky-jerky pull-up artist playmaker other is a transition-based hard-nosed attacker that can hang in the air and, like, Jalen fits more of the Celtics' overall core identity, and Jason is the guy they need to kind of slow things down and manage it and, like, be the game manager. So they actually are ideal complements to each other. I don't really think that there's a better complement as far as two wings are concerned. I think they're doing what the Clippers want to be doing with Kawhi and PG, and I'd rather have what they have here because they're more healthy. Um So, like, there is no impetus to break it up. And every person I've talked to around this organization has insisted they do not want to see those two break up. So that's the state of play with this team. I mean, I haven't talked to Brad about it. I don't know what Brad thinks, but I'm pretty sure Brad would agree. So they should offer him the Supermax. He should take it because who turns down the Supermax? And there's no reason to believe that he would. Um, If they mess around, they might find out, and they shouldn't. That would be silly.
0: Let me ask you this. I know we're running short on time. You, you, uh, since you brought up Brad Stevens, you and Brad get to have a, a freaky Friday body switch and you're the general manager for a day, pal. What's the move that you want to make? What, what do you make sense that will elevate this team? You know, it, it didn't seem like going into this year, there was all that much missing. You had Brogdon and you're healthy. It felt like this is the time. This is the year. And yet there's something still, and it's not the coach. You know, we've seen three coaches in the same problems. It's there's something with this nucleus, whether it's the, you know, core core, meaning Tatum, Brown, Al, Marcus, Rob, you know, the guys that have been here the longest or or just the greater team. I don't know what it is, but there's something that is preventing them from getting over the hump that goes beyond just, hey, it's hard to win a championship. There's something there that is limiting them. Is it something that can be resolved in that room? In the whole, you know, in the spirit of like running back your major pieces, or is there that move that you would make if you're GM? I would say that this team does not need a significant move.
2: Um I could see them moving off one of their cards. Malcolm is the most obvious one because mm-hmm. Derek and is more intrinsic into how they operate on both ends, and Marcus is Marcus. And it's like at this maybe there's a point where they're like, we're out on Marcus, but I will be shocked to see that day and so Malcolm because you don't need a six-man score like it's a great luxury but it's really a luxury I could see him being the one that moves um, and also and this is kind of the part of it if he needs surgery on his arm and your main purpose to have him is he's a good pull-up score. And he can't shoot next year, then can you even afford to carry that? You might have to just move off of him if he needs surgery, but also maybe the surgery is not that significant and he's back and he's fine for the start of the, reg- the regular season. But, um, you know, I don't think there's a single guard between those three that it's like you, you don't want to keep around. You want to keep around all of them. It's just that like white is clearly too good to trade unless you're like getting somebody better somehow, but like doesn't make sense to trade him. And then Marcus has just been like the heart and soul of this team for so long. And you see so many moments where he kind of like bails them out completely. Also see a lot of moments where he kind of buries them. It's Marcus smart. Um, and then the bigs, I think something needs to be tweaked with the bigs and, you know, Rob, I felt like he really backslid this year. He was just all the progress he made to not bite on pop bakes, to be ahead of pace on rotations, to have a clear sense of purpose on where he was going in offense. A lot of that receded this year. Now I don't one, he didn't play that much, and he is limited in his minutes. I know at game seven he got sick, obviously. Um, but the offense didn't seem like it had a clear purpose for him. And I think a huge part of Joe Missoula's task this summer is to reshape the offense to utilize Williams properly. Um, to not rely on five out spacing, to get him moving on the roll, to get him uh more post touches, which they like are kind of starting to do. Um, You know, Rob, Rob can't hit a shot outside of five feet, but he's really good inside of five feet and they need to find more creative ways to get him those shots because Rob should be averaging like 14 points a game. He shouldn't be averaging like eight, nine points a game. So they need to do a better job figuring that out. And then Al, like Al is, Al's amazing. Like Al was a player that I loved before I even got into this industry. And it's been really fun covering him because he's just so smart. And he just plays the game the right way and all the other BS you want to say. It's totally true about Al. Al hits walls at the end of these seasons because he plays too much. And next year, Al is probably going to be playing like 20 minutes a game. I think. I think he's going to play 60 games. He's going to play, he's going to play like a thousand minutes next year. That probably doesn't make sense mathematically, but whatever. You get it. And so. Yeah they need to find a way to keep him – in the playoffs as well, they need to find a way that they don't have to rely on him as much as they do in the playoffs because he's running out of gas. And you saw in the playoffs he would play a game, he'd make 40 plays. Fifteen of them were like, how is Al Horford doing this at age 36 or 37? Fifteen of them were like, all right, he survived. And then ten of them were like, uh-oh, he is he is cooked. And so they got to limit his exposure next year. And they can either keep Grant and pay Grant – and really, really entrust Grant and really prioritize Grant next season, which Joe is just not willing to do this year. Or they got to make some sort of move like training one of their guards. So bring in another player that plays in that realm, whether it's a big or it's a hybrid Ford, something like that. I think that's where they really need to change. I have anything
0: left for Jared before we let him go? No.
1: I mean, this has been an inter- And we got a lot to talk about, so we got to save stuff too.
0: Yeah, that's true. We, we got a whole offseason with of this stuff. Go. Hey Jared, in thirty seconds or less, Denver wins this game, this series, in how many? Negative seven. (laughs) Miami (laughs) Heat. I don't know if that made sense. Um, Denver. (laughs) Well,
2: I recently saw the Miami Heat play a team that was an overwhelming favorite, and I think (laughs) so happened
0: multiple times actually this postseason.
2: They I would have topped the one seed if you forgot. I think I would have picked Denver in seven if the Celtics made it. I think I'll pick Denver in seven against Miami. Wow, I Denver in five
1: i don't know i'm not counting kind on of jimmy butler
2: i'm never counting miami to not win three games in a series i will never do that ever again that. honestly <laughs> 10 years from now they can get swept every season i'm still picking their opponent
0: in seven at the very least man i think if there's one thing most celtics fans can agree on it's like we're we're done with with my i don't want to see miami in the playoffs for a good long while too much in too short a period of time it's too stressful this team can never be counted out clearly I, I no more, I don't want any more Spo and Butler or Riley for that matter. none. I'm out, and I'll say I very badly want to
2: see Jimmy Butler get this ring like i I'm happy with whoever wins, obviously, but Jimmy Jimmy's one of my favorite players I've ever seen in my life. I mean, he is he is the epitome of what makes basketball fascinating and exciting. And he, it's like you're watching a dude engage in warfare every single night, and he somehow outlasts everybody. And the way that he outlasted the Celtics in that series was unbelievable. And so I really want to see him get that ring so we can really put him up there as like one of the all time greats, top 50 player in NBA history. I think he's probably
0: deserving of it, honestly. See, and then people can, on the other side, people can just keep saying, Jokic has never won anything. He, he will yeah. i think Jokic. i think
2: Jokic is gonna get his ring at some point Jokic is <laughs> if we think like awesome. jimmy's the top 50 player Jokic might end up being a top 20 player of all time i mean Jokic he's is incredible. absolutely incomprehensible. Be
1: one of the best passer i've ever seen in my life I'm not <laughs> I I'm he's
2: not. i think he i think he's the most brilliant and innovative player in nba history like right Maybe. up there there's like probably four or five other people you put on that list um well he's like,
1: the most he's i don't know he's
2: yeah, I mean, you, I, I, Bill I Russell what, inventing most of how basketball is played, obviously, yeah. would probably deserve it. I'm uh, we'll, curious to see yeah. if there's
1: a, an effect on the kids, though, as Jokic oh, yeah. continues oh. to win. Like, right? Because we're waiting for the next, like, because Curry's the guy until the next guy. Right. Could that, be, could that be Jokic? He's just super fun to watch. He's so Yeah, fun. five I'm, years from now, Mark oh, Jackson's going to be
2: like, Jokic ruined this young generation,
0: teaching yeah. all of them the past and be flabby.
1: <laughs> there it is.
0: See, I thought Kevin Love had the uh had the market cornered on that for a while, but turns out Jokic came along and just took it. Took it. He just He's took super it. stole it right away. All right. Uh well Jared, we will bug you again during the off season, I'm sure. Uh we look forward to obviously reading your reporting. I- inevitably you will be breaking news left and right, and we only hope it is uh in the Celtics' favor as as the days and weeks go on, because we need some good news. So thank you for hopping on with us as always. Thanks, guys. All right. For Jared, Evan, I am Adam. Uh, we're coming at you a couple times a week. Join us here on Celtics Beat, wherever you get your podcast, Rate, review, subscribe. We greatly appreciate it. We will talk to you again very soon. And uh, despite what Jared said, go Nuggets!